routine, and sometimes routines can become th things we're not very awake to. Uh, so I want to invite you here as we move towards the end of the semester to remember, to be intentional as we think on why we gather week to week in this particular way. Don't, don't forget that there's some things that you can't know in a lecture. There's some things that you can't come to because you've been in a lab. There's some ways of awakening the heart, and we hope that happens while you're here at Baylor, all sorts of ways, uh, by being in community with one another, by talking to people uh, in an intimate way through friendship, other kinds of practices like service and prayer, and certainly through worship. Being together in this way has the capacity to awaken something that really is in you, but it's a bit dormant, and it's a way of knowing the truth, and a way of seeing what's real. Part of your rhythm. Don't let it just be that and routine and maybe something that lulls you into sleep. But wake up here for a minute today and see if this practice of worship can't help you clear some of the clutter and the distractions and the distortion out of life so that what happens the rest of the day you're able to see more clearly and live in a way that's more full. That's our hope for you today as we worship together led by our staff and our fellow students. Our, our preacher for today is from North Russell, our resident chaplain there, Jamie McCallum, will bring a short word here in just a moment. As we begin, would you simply repeat this verse of scripture after me from Psalm 46? Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and
history of the church, um, when people gather together, kind of like we are now uh, as believers to worship God, it's we, we pray. You know, that's not a, an abnormal thing to do for us. Um, but usually, you know, if you're like me, you know, you, you grew up in church, and a lot of times when we say prayers, we automatically, without even thinking about it, we just bow our head and close our eyes. And that's kind of what we do. Um, but this morning, I want to invite you to a kind of prayer where, where we pray together aloud, um, and we do with our eyes open, because uh, sometimes it's just, it's just good uh, to be looking at one another while we pray, um, and saying these words together, and so what, what, I, what we're going to do today is, on the screen as always, like with any responsive reading, the words will be up there, and I will read the words that are not bold, and you will read the words that are bold, um, and so if you'll just follow along, you'll see where the bold words are, and I'll read it slowly so you can
my Facebook page. Don't do it now, but whenever you're there, you'll learn things about me. You'll learn that I'm female, if you didn't already know that. You'll learn that I was born October 25th, and you'll learn that I'm a Christian. You will see that I like the music of Andrew Peterson, that I can quote Dumb and Dumber by heart, and that I tend to get most of my news from the Colbert Report. You see, with a quick glance at my Facebook profile, you can know me. But the question is, can you really know me? In the Facebook world, who I am is who I want you to think that I am. So I can untag pictures of myself I don't like, and have I ever untagged my fair share of pictures? Um, I can make up a list of favorite books and TV shows and movies based on what I want you to think are my favorite. I can choose to hide myself from people that I don't want to interact with. And I can convince myself via Facebook stalking that I really know someone I want to know, even if they have no idea I exist. You see, many of us enter this Facebook realm because we deeply desire to be known. However, I fear that more times than not, these artificial communities leave us feeling more alone and isolated than ever before. Because tons of people have friended me, and in the process, they friended this profile of myself I've created. Does something inside of you not wonder sometimes? If these people really knew the true you, not the profile you, but the true you, if they'd even be your friend. If they knew the you that secretly likes the Jonas Brothers and watches the Disney Channel. So they, <laughs> but they like that person. But what about if they knew the you that's insecure, that's socially awkward, that's depressed, that's afraid? Would they like that person? Or what if they knew the you that actually questions every day who you are, what you stand for, why you're here and where you're going, would they like that person? You see, humans have this desire to be known. At the same time, though, we have this need to protect, to protect our emotions, our identity, protect our reputation. When we can't figure out how to make these two worlds come together, we create things like Facebook, where we can kind of be known and really be protected. In the end, though, I think that Often we compromise much more than we gain by such communities. So here we are in Genesis 32, and we find Jacob on the final evening of a days-long journey to reunite with a brother that he had wronged more times than once. Up to this point, Jacob had lived a life of deceit and manipulation, using pain on others to further himself whenever it was necessary. And on this night, Jacob realizes that before he can even begin to think about making things right with his brother, he first must be reconciled with his God by coming face to face with his true self, with his failures and all. So there we find him, by the banks of the river, all alone. And as night descends, someone else appears on the scene. And then Jacob and this man, this angel, this God, begin to wrestle. And they wrestle the whole night through, neither willing to let go. This man strikes Jacob on the hip socket, and still Jacob will not let go. It seems that something inside of him senses that perhaps for the first time, he is face to face with someone who really knows him. Someone who knows that behind the manipulator is a terrified man. A man who is tired of being alone and weary of playing games that increase his status but leave him utterly isolated. In the midst of this struggle and this wrestling match, Jacob has the guts to ask this one with whom he wrestles for a blessing. Now, I imagine when he asked for a blessing, he was thinking of possibly more land or more descendants. But that's not what God had in store. 
Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. You see, God's blessing to Jacob was a new name. A name that told him who he really was. Not who he'd been pretending to be for so long. No longer people hear the name Jacob and think of the deceiver and the manipulator they thought of before. Instead, they hear the name Israel and think of this God who walks alongside even the most broken of individuals and tribes. It seems that God knew that more than wealth and security, Jacob simply needed to know that he was known. He needed to know that despite his fears and despite his past, that he still had a purpose. Before Jacob could meet with his brother face to face, he had to meet with his maker face to face. He had to hear God say, I know your real name. I know all about that identity that you so tirelessly try to hide from others. I know about your fears. I know about your failures. I know about the many times you inflicted pain on others to pacify yourself. I know all these things, and yet I desire nothing more than to meet with you face to face and tell you who you really are. You are Israel. You are capable of blessing. You are worthy of being called. You are not alone. You are chosen. You are loved, and you are cherished. That's who you are. And to this, Jacob walks away with a limp, but with the sun shining on his back. You see, this whole idea of being really known is risky business. The pain and the vulnerability that comes with that is just as real as Jacob's limp was real. Just the same, though, the joy that comes by realizing you can be deeply known and deeply loved is just as real as the sun shining down was real. So I ask you, what are those things that you leave off of your Facebook profile? What part of your past, of your present, of your personality, do you fear would leave you utterly isolated if they were made known? Can you hear the Lord this morning saying to you, I already know that about you. I already know that about you, and yet I love you just the same. I already know that about you, and yet I have all kinds of ideas about how I want to use you to bless others. I already know that about you, and yet I long for nothing more than to meet with you face to face, right here, and tell you who you really are, chosen, loved, and cherished. Notice then that Jacob didn't stay at the banks of the river indefinitely. Rather, as soon as the struggle had ended and the blessing had come, he rose up go meet with his brother. You see, his need to be known reached to both God and to man, and so it is with us. We must be real before our Creator, but we must also be real before our brothers and sisters. We must choose to be vulnerable enough to meet them face to face, apart from the profiles that we've created for ourselves. And these encounters, your frailties and your quirks cannot be hidden, because it's not until you expose these things of yourself and realize that you're loved anyway that you can begin to even grasp what true love is. You begin to believe that maybe there really is more to you than a date of birth, a religious and political affiliation, and a list of favorites. Because in the end, the real us and the real you is fully and deeply known and loved by both God and man. So I ask you, what will it take today for you to step away from the computer screen and enter into a world where you meet God and others face to face. Whatever it takes, I encourage you
knowing you is just that. It's a privilege. Please stand with me for a benediction. face to face. Amen.